not silent. Be not silent. Hey, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. We're so grateful that you guys are here. Whether you're joining us in person, maybe you're in the courtyard enjoying uh, the nice weather we're having right now, or maybe you're watching at home or some other place, we're so grateful to have you. And our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover purpose, and grow in your faith and Jesus, I want to let you know about a couple of things that are happening first. Uh, October is uh, Pastors Appreciation Month. So our elders said, hey, we want to uh, make sure that our people give an opportunity to uh, encourage and support our pastors. So every week we send out a weekly email on Tuesday. And in that email, we're going to have uh, one pastor that's highlighted. And then us as pastors, we want to make sure that our staff will support it as well and highlighted. So we'll have a pastor and a different staff member um, in each email. And my encouragement to you is if there's somebody in our church that's made an impact on you or your family, one of our staff, one of our pastors, uh, man, let them know. Like, send them a, a text, uh, an encouraging word, a gift card. Like, don't send them to me. Send them to our staff um, to let them know, man, how, how much you appreciate them and care for them. They do so much to sacrifice for our church uh, and for you guys. And, uh, and so uh, if you can, at some point during uh, this month, man, just celebrate one of them or, or all of them uh, and let them know what they mean to you. The second thing I want to let you know about is tonight we're having our groundbreaking ceremony over at our property. Yeah, which very excited about. Uh, we love being here, but you know, we got creepy trees on our stage and we don't get to control that. So if I want creepy trees, I want to be able to control that piece, you know. Uh, and so we're so excited about the groundbreaking. Uh, man, join us tonight. It's going to be at 5 p.m. Uh, you can see the address up on the screen or you can go to our website and get more information there as well. Uh, we're going to have a, a kind of a quick service and some, some uh, cool things going on. So uh, I want to encourage you, join us tonight, 5 o'clock. Uh, it's going to be a, a monumental moment for our church and uh, what God has for us. We're so grateful uh, for what God has done for us up until this point, what he's going to continue to do. So uh, if you're available, come be a part of that tonight uh, as we celebrate all that God has done. All right, you know, one of the things that I think that humans hate one of the things I think they hate the most is silence. I mean, think about it. Think about all the noise that we allow into our lives from, from social media and phone and technology and just conversations. Like, we hate silence, most of us. I mean, even if you think back to like 20 years ago. Now, for some of you in your 20s, that's going to be hard to do. Maybe even in your 30s. But if you're old like me and you think back to the time before cell phones, remember those times uh, where you're like, oh, man, it would be much simpler if we were back. But even then we had so much noise. I mean, we can't stand silence. We, we long for there to be noise. And when there's silence for too long, it's uncomfortable. Like one of the things that we as humans, we don't want is we don't want silence. And when it comes to um, uh, one of the greatest subjects, one of the greatest issues that humanity faces, we long for the world. We long for somebody to be not silent. Today we're looking, uh, continuing a series that we've called Game Changers, where we're looking at one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest church planners of all time. His name is Paul. 
Uh, we're looking at how he changed the world. If you miss any of these messages uh, or you just want to grow deeper in your faith, uh, visit our message series hubs. You can get to them by our website or scanning the QR code that's found in your worship guide that Pastor Brandon just talked about. Uh, you can see all of our previous messages. You can also uh, see different resources that we provided there, reading plans. If you're like, man, I want to grow in my faith, then check out our series hubs. Uh, that's a great next step for you. But you can check out all the messages. And we've just been following along in Paul's life and seeing how he changed the world and how you and I are called to change the world. And today we're going to look at probably, probably the, the thing that Paul learned the most that changed the world the greatest. And it was this idea of be not silent. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 18. That's where we're going to dive in. If you don't have a Bible, hey, no worries. We want to get you one. You can just go to our connections tent. The blue tent right outside as you're heading toward your car. Just stop by, ask somebody there, hey, do you have a Bible? Uh, we'd love to get you one. We don't need your money, your information, none of that. We just want to make sure that everybody's resourced with God's word. Let me give you kind of a, a quick synopsis of what's happening so far. Paul, he meets Jesus supernaturally, and his life is transformed. Uh, up until that point, he is a Pharisee. He's a religious leader in the Jewish community. He gives all of that up to start following Christ. Uh, and then he's got this, this similar pattern that he works, that, that God has called him to go be a missionary, to go start churches all across the known world at that time. And he follows a similar pattern of he goes into a city, he preaches in the synagogue, the, the Jewish people, they can't stand him. And so they either beat him or they drive him out or they imprison him. He doesn't stay very long in most cities. It's usually a few weeks or maybe a few months but all of that changes in Acts 18. That's where we pick up the story, Acts 18, verse 1. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Stop right there. Paul leaves Athens, and he goes to this place called Corinth. We need some understanding of Corinth to understand the context of this passage. First, Corinth is one of the most strategic cities in the known world up until that point. It's regarded as one of the first international cities because it was at the center of commerce and travel. So it was located uh, in the, by the isthmus between the Aegean and the Ionian seas. Uh, and it's based on the artifacts that they found from this time period in Corinth. Uh, it reveals that the city was more wealthy and more influential than even Athens. So when you look at like history, people always talk about like Athens and how amazing it was. And all, but Corinth was, was more influential than Athens was. Second thing that we've got to understand about Corinth is that it had a reputation. Of course, it had a reputation about its arts and its classical stonework and had these world-renowned springs. But the real reputation it had was for low morals and sexual promiscuity. So it was known as, as this kind of evil place in some regard or as a place to, you know, do whatever. There was, there was temples dedicated to prostitution. There were people that thought prostitution was how they worshiped their God and stuff like that. So this was a, a low moral place, low or uh, high uh, sexual promiscuity, uh, but it was also a very important place. That, those two things are important because Paul understands that if Christianity can take place in this city, that it's such an important city that if it gets a footprint there, it could maybe spread to the rest of the world. But he also knows the sin is so great there that it's going to come against them. That the, the spread of the gospel, it's going to be very difficult for God's word to go out because of how great the sin was in the city. So Paul spends a lot of time in Corinth. In fact, we find out in verse 11 that he spends a year and a half in the city. It's where he writes the book of Romans and more than likely where he writes Colossians and Thessalonians. Let's continue. Verse 2. 
There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So once he gets to this city, he meets this, this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. If you've ever heard their names before, it's because they're pretty popular. They're, they're central figures to the early church. They're mentioned three times in Acts. Uh, they're mentioned in Romans and 1 Corinthians and in 2 Timothy as well. They're, they're central figures to the early church. And they we're told that they used to live in Italy, but now they're in Corinth. Why are they there? Because Claudius, the emperor, has expelled all Jews and all Christians. Why does he do that? When you do a little bit of research in 49 AD is when Claudius expelled all of them. And he did so because of what he said were riots. He said there were riots happening between the Christians, these people who call themselves followers of the way, and the Jews. And the riots were about this central figure named Christos, or the Greek rendering Christ. So the Jews and the Christians are fighting about this guy named Jesus, and this wasn't abnormal. I mean, it was causing issues, but it had caused issues in Berea and Thessalonia and all kinds of places. So it wasn't that big of an issue, except this is where the emperor lived. And he's like, we're not, we're not playing this game. And so he kicks them all out. They're all expelled, and they can't come back until Claudius ends up dying five years later. And that's when all imperial edicts are rescinded at that point. So they're able to then go back to Rome, and that's actually why Paul writes the book of Romans because of this situation. Uh, we did a whole series on the book of Romans earlier this year called The Road. So if you want it to, to look at that or to go deeper in this particular time period, then you can go check that out on our, on our series hub. We don't know how long Aquila and Priscilla were in Corinth, but they were long enough to, to open up a business. Uh, and the Bible says it was a tent-making business. Well, a better uh, understanding of tent-making back then was more like leather-working. So they were working with leather. Uh, and Paul clearly has some understanding of, of this practice. And so he joins them. We don't know if he joins as an employee or as an owner or what, but he joins the practice of tent-making. Look at verse 4. It says, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So Paul's doing this, this same cycle that he does in every city. He goes to the Jewish synagogue, which is, which is the Jewish place of worship. He starts preaching about Christ there. They don't like it, so they become abusive. We don't know if that's verbal or physical, but he's gone through everything. He's been beaten. He's been in prison. He's gone through literally everything because the Jews are getting upset that he's preaching to them about Christ. So they get upset, and Paul's like, "Now nah, I'm done. So he shakes off his clothes, which is a sign of just saying, I'm done with you. He says, your blood, meaning your eternal destination separate from God, it's on you now. Like I tried. You don't hate the messenger, you just hate the message. And so they're coming against Paul, but Paul, he doesn't stop preaching. Like it would have been real easy for him to say, you know what, this isn't worth it. Like this isn't the life I signed up for. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to have to keep going through this persecution and all of that. But Paul understands that God has called him to be not silent. So he retracts from them, but he continues to preach, as we'll see in a minute. One early church father, he said it this way. He says, when Paul retracts from this group, he's not saying that I don't want anything to do with you. He's actually drawing them in. 
They're actually like, wait a second, you're willing to keep preaching but not come to our synagogue and, and, and go through all the abuse? and all. Let me, let me find out a little bit more about you. Let me find out a little bit more about your message. Be not Silent. Look at verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So Paul says, I'm not, I'm not called to be silent, so I'm just going to go next door. I'm going to go to this guy's house. I'm going to keep preaching. Then we read that, that Crispus, who's in charge of the synagogue, this is like the main guy in charge of the Jewish religion at that point in this city, he comes to faith in Christ. And you would think at that point, man, like what a celebration. Not only does he come to faith in Christ, but it says that many believed because of his faith. Many believed and were baptized because this, this religious leader got saved. You would think everybody would be celebrating. I mean, this would be like if a Mormon bishop today came to, to know Christ personally and then, and then a bunch of Mormons gave their lives over to Jesus because of this religious leader giving his life over to Jesus. We'd be like, whoa, that's amazing. Like, this is unbelievable. But, but even though this is a great thing for the church and this is a great thing for the city of Corinth, this is not a great thing for Paul. I was like, I, I've seen this movie too many times. Like, I know what happens when the Jewish leaders start giving their lives over to Christ. The other Jewish leaders come against me, and they beat him, they imprison him, they've tried to kill him multiple times. So to Paul, this is not a good thing. Like, Paul understands, like, this is just going to cause issues in my life, so why doesn't he just leave? I mean, I just told you guys that he stays here up until this point. This is the longest stay he's had in Greece, is a year and a half. Why does he stay so long in Corinth? Well, two reasons. One, because the Jewish leaders, they don't kick him out. Why don't they kick him out? We don't know. Maybe it's because some of the main Jewish leaders came to faith in Christ, and so they protected him. Maybe it's because Corinth was such a large city that, that what was happening in this small little section of the city didn't really matter to the rest of the people. We don't know, but the Jewish leaders didn't kick him out. The second reason that Paul stays is because of verse 9 and 10, which says this, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stays here longer than any other place in Greece because of a vision. The last time he got a vision, he was told to go somewhere else. This time he's told to stay and to just keep preaching. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Now, one of the running uh, lessons throughout Acts, Acts teaches this lesson quietly, that, that God is going to give you what you need to know when you need to know it. And he's never going to reveal too many details all at once. And like, I don't know about you, but that bothers me. Like for me, I would love like, hey, God, so what's going to happen here? And God just be like, all right, let me tell you all the things. Like, like this groundbreaking tonight, like it's been a long journey for us to get here. We purchased, we signed a contract on this land two years ago. In October of 21 is when we signed on it. It's been two years. If God at that time would have been like, hey, Ernest, by the way, it's going to be a long journey. There's going to be a lot of things that happen. You're going to be frustrated and all of that, but it's all good. You're going to be doing a groundbreaking on October 1st, 2023. I might have been like, Lord, that sounds crazy, but okay, at least I can trust you. Like, at least you gave me all the steps, but God doesn't ever do that. Why? Because it's called faith. Like, if God were to give you all of the things that you need to know now for the rest of your life, you wouldn't need any faith to follow him. 
be like, well, I already know what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. No matter what happens in my life, I know that these things are going to take place. But Acts is trying to teach us that God is in control. And I love here that God says to Paul, hey, do not be afraid. Now, if I'm Paul, I'm thinking, man, I really wasn't afraid until now. Right? Like if God's like, hey, don't be afraid, it's either because you're afraid or something bad's about to happen. And so God knows you're probably going to be afraid. Right? Like I don't want God saying, don't be afraid to me. Because that means probably something's going to happen. God's like, hey, don't be afraid, Paul. Like even when people come against you and they persecute you, do not be afraid. Even when you're moved from city to city, don't be afraid. Even when it costs you something, later we'll see that it costs him his life. But right now it's costing him financially. And he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee, most scholars would say that, that their jobs, they were bureaucrats or lawyers or teachers. So they made pretty decent money. Not like teachers today. Sorry, guys. Uh, or, or, or they were, a, the Pharisee was like a, a political fashion. Like they were, they were Democrats or Republicans. And so there were people supporting their, their ministry. But Paul now is, has given up all of that and God's telling him to start churches. So there's no churches that are like giving Paul money. There's nobody tithing at this point or anything like that. So Paul's going around and he's just preaching the gospel, trying to get it spread wherever he can. So the way he makes money is by tent making. is by taking up this, this other job to be able to provide for himself. So he, obviously he's not doing as well as he used to do. He's had a sacrifice. He's couch surfing. He doesn't have his own home. He, at some times, there's, there's times where he doesn't even know he's going to lay his head that night. He doesn't know where his next meal is going to come from. And God keeps saying, do not be afraid. He says, I got you. Don't worry. But because I got you and I don't want you to worry, I'm going to take care of things. There's a requirement from you, Paul. And that's be not silent. Keep preaching. Keep speaking. Keep telling others. So what is God telling Paul and what is God telling us to be not silent on? Well, there's two things. There's two things that, that God kept encouraging and challenging and commanding Paul to not be silent on. And these are two things that he calls us to not be silent on. Number one is sin. Sin. God says, hey, Paul, I need you to preach about sin. Sin is it, 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 it's not measuring up to the perfect standard of God. Like most of us in here would be like, ah, yeah, I'm a sinner. We get it. Most people in my life would be like, yeah, I'm a sinner. I get it. But God says, I don't want you to stop preaching on sin. Like I need you to keep, he was very bold. In fact, during this time is when he wrote the book of Romans. And when you read throughout the book of Romans, and you, it, it's a, an expose on sin, right? Romans chapter 1, you look at it and it's, it's talking about the, the depravity of humanity and how sinful we all are. And then in Romans uh, 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. Romans 5.8, and it talks about God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages, the results of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So Paul, all throughout Romans, is talking about sin while he's in Corinth, the city that has low morals, high sexual promiscuity. God says, don't stop preaching about sin. Don't be afraid to talk about sin. And Paul wasn't. Whether it's popular with the world or not, when you look throughout Paul's epistles, the letters that he writes to these, these churches that he helped 
to, to, to found. He, he establishes these churches, and then he goes on to establish another church. And so he writes them letters to, like, encourage them and challenge them. And in every one of them, he addresses sin. And every Like, you read 1 Corinthians, and you're like, that church is messed up. Like, that is a crazy, like, something is seriously wrong with you people type of church. And Paul just addresses it. He's like, this is unacceptable. You can't call yourself a follower of Christ and then be doing these things. Like, there's no gray for Paul. There's no gray when it comes to sex. There's no gray when it comes to, to getting drunk. There's no gray when it comes to lying, to gossip, to all the things that, that Scripture talks about. There's no gray for Paul. He's like, this is sin. And you've got to call sin, sin. Now, what's interesting is that most of Paul's comments about sin are directed to believers. Like, you can hear this and be like, oh, yeah, God's called us to not be silent on sin. Yes, let's tell the world how sinful they are. When most of Paul's energy was spent toward you and I. Like, hey, you and I are, are broken. And even with Christ in our lives, we still sin. And we need to be encouraged. We need to be challenged on our sin. To run to Jesus, to not shrink back from the ways of the world and all that. But Paul also says that we also need to preach sin to the world. Now, here's what I found interesting in my life. I'm not speaking this in your life, but in my life, I think about the people in my life that I'm, I'm trying to lead in faith. The, I've got some Buddhist friends, some Mormon friends, some atheists, and some others. And as I'm walking with them right now in some of their faith journeys, none of them would deny that they're sinners. Like, none of them. Like if I were like, hey, are you a sinner? They'd be like, yeah. I know some of the things I do are wrong. They may not be able to establish it with how God sees it and all of that, but there's not a person I've met that's like, nope, I don't sin, I'm perfect. So I don't think the, the challenge for us is to tell people that they're sinners, and the challenge for us is to keep proclaiming truth what truth is, not to allow the world to dictate what we proclaim and what we don't proclaim. Not to allow the world to dictate what is truth and what is not truth. We're just called to present it. And here's the reality that you and I, there's no need for Jesus without an acknowledgement of sin. Like without us preaching sin to the world and to each other, without that acknowledgement that yes, I have sin in my life, there's no need for Christ. You see, sin is the problem. Here's what I would say about sin. That every issue you and I see in our world today, every issue it's because of sin. Every single one of them. The divisiveness, the anger, all the junk that we see in our world right now, we, we can blame it on people, we can blame it on politics, we can bring on, blame it on systems, and, but the underlying issue is sin. That's the problem. And to leave people with only the problem is not loving. We have to give them the hope. We have to give them the solution. And the solution is Christ. Like it's not enough for us to say that we're all sinners or that people sin. Most people don't deny that. That's just presenting the problem. We have to give the solution as well, and the solution is Christ. That's the second thing that Paul was not silent on. He was not silent on sin, and he was not silent on Jesus. Because Jesus is the answer. Everywhere he went, he would pre preach Christ. It would have been real easy for Paul to walk into a synagogue and just say some nice things and some cool things that everybody would have agreed with in the congregation. And they would have been like, oh, man, that's so good. I can apply that to my life or whatever. Thank you, Paul. You're amazing. And nobody would have ever changed. 
what did Paul do? He preached sin and Christ. And people's lives were radically transformed. So as believers, we're called to be not silent. We're called to be not silent about sin. When you see sin in the world, don't shrink back because the world says that's not sin. Don't choose to say nothing because it might damage a relationship. Don't choose to say nothing because you think it's not loving or somebody might say, well, that's not my truth, that's your truth or whatever. We are called to call out sin, first of all, in our own lives. I think one of the most damaging things that the church has done, when I say the church, I mean the Big C Church, people who claim that they're followers of Christ, I think one of the most damaging things that we've done, it's just real easy for me to point my finger at you. It's real easy to say, look at the, look at the log in your own eye when the reality it's in mine. Like Jesus explains it like, I can, I can say, oh man, you've got a speck in your eye, but the reality is that the log is in mine. And it's damaging if we're not willing to look in the mirror and go, man, where am I sinning? Like, where do I need growth? Where do I need Christ in my life? And then we need others. We need others in our lives who are gonna be willing to call out sin in our lives. Like one of the most loving things that anybody's ever done for me is call out sin in my life. Because without those people calling out sin in my life, I would have never acknowledged my need for Jesus. I was talking with two guys earlier this week and I don't know, maybe it was because this message was on my heart or what, but I just told both of them like, they're guys that have known me since high school. I'm like, guys, thank y'all. Like, thank you for being willing to challenge me and to help me move forward in my faith. Because I wouldn't be the man, the husband, the father that I am without people calling out sin. And I won't become the man, the husband, the father that God wants me to be without people calling out my sin. Without pe- and I, I mean, you gotta do it with grace. You gotta do it in the right timing. I mean, we could talk through all the right steps and all of that. But the reality is most of us, including myself, my tendency is to shrink back. Like if I see sin in somebody's life, I'm like, ah, man, I don't wanna damage that relationship. Like what if that person rejects me or whatever? But the most loving thing that anybody's ever done for me is called out my sin. The most loving thing I can do for somebody else is say, hey, I see an area of growth. I see an opportunity to run to the grace of God and see transformation. It's because I want the best for that person. It's not because I wanna revel in their misery or their sin or their junk or whatever. It's because I care about them. And I want somebody to care about me so much that they're willing to say, Aaron, this is what I see. There's an area where I see that you can maybe grow. So God's calling us to be not silent when it comes to sin. The other thing God's calling us to be not silent is Jesus. Again, sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. But when we just have sin, man, sin leads to all kinds of heartache and damage, destruction in our world. And it's not loving if we aren't giving people the solution. People are longing for hope. They're longing for peace. They're longing for life. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have it. You know the answer. So it's not enough just to come to church or to be in a community group or anything. There are people around you and I that desperately need the hope of Jesus. And it's on us to not be silent, to not listen to the ways of the world. Like, 
oh man, you're going to damage that relationship or that business deal or, or, or your workplace or whatever. Like God's going, no, no, no. The most important thing is for you to not be silent. Three weeks ago, I, I talked about how one of the most alarming stats for us here in our area is that we, we have one of the highest rates of suicide for men between the ages of 42 and 55. That's alarming because I'm in that group. So I gave that stat three weeks ago. In the last two weeks, we've had three men in our community that I know of that are taking their own life. Those are just the ones that I know. And I don't know them personally, so I won't pretend to say where people were at with faith or anything. But here's what I know. When people don't have hope, when people don't have peace, and make life-altering decisions. So I just look at the world around us and I go, man, there's so much brokenness. There's so much division. There's so much depression. There's so much anxiety. All of these things that that are root cause are sin. I understand that some depression and anxiety is mental health and some of it also is just caused by us. And the answer is Christ. Will you and I be bold enough to proclaim the world needs you? The world is bleak and needs you to speak. Be not silent. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And God, I thank you for the life of Paul. I thank you, God, so much that, God, he was not silent on the things that matter most. He was not silent when it comes to our relationship with you and our our need for you. A need that is born out of our own sin. Understanding that our sin separates us from you, God. And yet you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us so that we can be made new, so that we can be forgiven. And God, I know that every single week we have people who come into this place that if we're going to be real honest would say, man, Ernest, I feel far from God. I feel distant from him. And the way you got there, however we want to boil it down, because we all have sin in our lives and sin separates us from God. And I just believe if that's you, that today God's saying, come home. Like God sees you, he knows your story and he loves you so much. He's saying, come home. What does that mean? It means recognizing that we're all sinners, all of us. And that sin has to be paid for and God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for that sin. But that's how much God loves you. But Jesus showed his power over sin and over death by raising from the dead three days later to offer you and I eternal life, eternal hope, real peace, a life, a life that God created you and I for. And so if you'd say, man, Ernest, come into this place, like, man, I'm not living that life. I'm trying on my own, and it's just not working. And I get it, I've been there. Try Christ. Come home today. Give your life over to Christ or recommit your life to Christ. 
just see what God does. It doesn't mean that you won't have doubts or questions. It just means you're choosing to place your faith here. You place your faith in something every day. And if you choose to place your faith in yourself, then eventually you'll realize it's just not working. So why not try Jesus? So if that's you with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say today, I want to give my life over to Christ, or I want to recommit my life to Jesus, I just want you to raise a hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Amen. Amen. I just want to know who to pray for. Amen. Father, thank you for each one of these individuals. Thank you that you know their story, you know their name. If you're watching at home, you can just simply text the word follow to the number on the screen. I just want you to know our God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. It's not the easiest. We'll walk with you as a church. What's the greatest decision? And then God, for all of us, tell us what our next step is. God, tell us where we're to be not silent. God, first in our own life, with our own sin, God, may we recognize it. May we acknowledge it so that we see our need for you, Jesus, on a daily basis. And then, God, I pray that you would put people in our lives. God, that you didn't call us to live in a vacuum. You called us to live in community so that we can grow. So put people in our lives that we welcome, that we want there, God, to help us. To help us run to you, to help us give up sin, to help us become the men and the women you've created us to be. And then, God, use our voice in the lives of others around us to help them be drawn to you come to know you more, become holy as you are holy. And then, God, may we preach Christ. God, in our broken world, we desperately need a change. And I think we could all see that a change doesn't come through politics, systems. It comes through you. So, God, may we proclaim you to the masses. May we proclaim you to our next-door neighbor the person we sit across from in the cubicle, the people we interact with on a daily basis, God. May we be not silent. It's in Jesus' name.